Let's open our Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter number 8. Isaiah chapter number 8. As you turn there, let me just say again how thankful I am that you're here this morning. And, um, I, you know, I've come this morning to uh, preach the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I'll talk about the time of Isaiah. Amen. But, um, I, I, will, I will just simply say this. People have asked, you know, preach the Word of God. Anyway. Uh, but also, I read the Bible where it says so much the more as you see today. Right? 
begins this way. The Bible says, Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll, and write in it with a man's pen concerning Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jehoiakim. And I went unto the prophetess, which is the word for Isaiah's life. I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then it says, The Lord to me called his name Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spake also unto me again, saying, For as much as this people were accused of the waters of Shiloh, they go softly and rejoice in resin and Remaliah's son. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels, and go over all his banks. And he shall pass over through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. Associate yourselves, uh, O ye people, and you shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, O ye, of our country. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and Come to not speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with me. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of his people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom his people shall say a confederacy? Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, and he shall be for a sanctuary. For a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gem and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Let's pray again. Father, we love you and thank you for this another opportunity. Bless your word this morning, Lord. I pray you guard my lips. Let me not say anything you would not have me to say, but give me boldness and courage and obedience to say that which must be said in these hours. I want you to bless every person here, Lord. Protect them, protect their health. I pray that you protect their homes help with their loved ones, and give us all wisdom and discernment as we uh, navigate these waters, as we make decisions for our families and our homes, and may the Lord all find ourselves in obedience unto you, whatever it may mean in our lives, may we find ourselves obedient unto you, and we'll be truly thankful for what they play. Bless the preaching hour this morning, Lord, we do ask it in Christ's name, amen. Now to give you a little bit of context to what's going on in Isaiah chapter number 8, they are faced with three things first ten verses. And I want to share these with you as a little introduction because they lead into a greater message and a greater principle concerning how they were supposed to respond in a day of crisis and in a day of trouble. When this passage opens, we are faced with number one, a formidable problem. There were some names in here that you may not be familiar with, some individuals and some cities. And the two cities that are sort of at the forefront of the first ten verses are the cities of Damascus and Samaria. Now, Damascus was the capital of the Syrian nation. And Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. This prophecy is being directed from the the lips and pen of Isaiah by inspiration of the Holy Ghost to the southern kingdom of Judah. And if I lay out for you the political landscape, the Syrians and the northern kingdom of Israel had joined together in a confederacy to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah. And they were marching 
at this very moment towards the gates of Jerusalem. And they were threatening the southern kingdom of Judah, saying, you can either join with us against the Assyrians, or we're going to destroy you. Now at this same moment, the Assyrian behemoth, the Assyrian empire, that monstrous army was moving up from the south and had her eyes set on Judah and Israel and Syria. And they had a choice. They had somebody coming from the north, somebody coming from the south. They're caught in the middle. What would Judah do? They could not run from this problem. Can I say that sometimes in life we face formidable problems? You ever felt like you stuck in between? We use this term a rock and a hard place. That's where Judah was at at this moment. They had one army on the north, one army on the south. Uh, They couldn't run. They couldn't get away from it. They were stuck and didn't know what they could do. They were quarantined. Let me say in there. They did not know where they could go or what they could do. They had a formidable problem. But in the opening verses of this passage, there is an interesting event that takes place. Verse number one, Says the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning. Now here's a big old ten dollar name. You think you hated learning how to write your name? Imagine being named Mahershalal Hashbag. Amen. I don't even know what nickname you use. That name is interesting. Uh, God commanded Isaiah to write it in a scroll and seal it. And then commanded Isaiah to go in under his wife, the prophetess, and they conceived and bear a son. And the Lord commanded Isaiah to call his son that very same name. And this was the prophecy that was associated with it. He says in verse 4, For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus, meaning the Syria, and the spoil of Samaria, meaning the northern kingdom of Israel, shall be taken away before the king of in other words, God was saying, I'm going to work this out. I'm going to sell it. It may seem unlikely now. I tell you, the people of Judah were just as afraid of the Assyrians joining together with the Syrians and Israelis as they were of the Israelis and the Syrians destroying them. They didn't know what was about to happen. But God says, I'm going to confound your enemies. I'm going to destroy them. And with that, he gives us a unusual name. The name means something fascinating. Listen to this. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz means this. In making speed to the spoil... He hasteneth to pray. It's a fascinating statement. It's a fascinating principle and, and idiom. What it essentially says is this. In trying to fix their problem, they make it work. In trying to run to a solution, they run into the arms of their enemy. Can I tell you something? There's times in our life when if we're not careful, we will let fear motivate us to do the wrong thing. Can I just make a simple statement? I'll move on uh, before you start bristling up on me. Uh, I have found in my life that it is far more dangerous to be running from something than it is to be running to something. I'm watching my little boy, and if he's running from something, you mark her down every single time, he'll hit the wall. Now, I've never seen him run to me or run to his mama and run into a wall. And the difference, you say, preacher, is what? The difference is in which direction you're facing. You see, that little boy of mine, when he's running away from something, what's he doing? He's looking backwards. And if you're looking backwards, you ain't looking frontwards. And he'll run into the wall. You see, there is in this passage a formidable problem and a fascinating principle that it is possible, listen carefully, to let fear motivate us into doing a destructive thing. Let me go ahead and tell you something. Fear can be a healthy thing. There are some things, listen, people say, if you got fear of snakes, I do remember biting. Fear can be a healthy thing. God has 
of fear. And there are certain things that it is proper to fear. But fear for the sake of fear itself can be a destructive And for the Israelites, that was the thing. You know what the great danger was here? It was striking up a bargain with an enemy that would lead to their destruction while they were trying to avoid the armies that were marching upon them. Later on, by the way, they tried that very thing. In fact, it would lead to the demise. But by the time that Nebuchadnezzar comes along and with the Babylonian army and does destroy Jerusalem, it was at the time that they had made a confederacy with Lachish, the king of Egypt. You remember the Bible talks about that uh, they, they mocked Israel and said that Israel is a, a broken reed, is a smoking flash. If you lean upon it, it'll pierce through your hand. What they were saying was, Egypt ain't will be no help. But, but the children of Judah made wrong decisions because they were trusting that Egypt was protecting There's a principle here that we can get in trouble running from something. But then we find in this passage a faithful prophet. I'm not going to take the time to read all of it, but God declared that he would bring the Assyrians up to destroy the armies of Syria and Israel. But would stop them short of destroying Jerusalem. Look what it says in verse number 6, for as much as this people refuses the waters of Shiloh. You know, there was a little stream that ran out of Jerusalem that was the waters of Shiloh. And it was so still that you wouldn't even notice that it was running. God says, you didn't want that water that flows from my holy mountain, so I'm going to bring a river upon you. He says this, they go softly and rejoice in Rezin, which was the king of Syria, and Romalia's son, which was the one occupying the throne of Israel. Therefore, behold, the Lord brings upon you the waters of the river strong within you, the king of Assyria, and all his glory, and he shall cut up over all his channels and go over all his lands. And mark her down, but by history, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the Assyrian army came in and destroyed Assyria and destroyed Israel and carried away captive, obliterated the northern ten tribes. They even marched upon the southern kingdom of Judah. They even marched to the gates. You remember Isaiah. You remember Hezekiah going and praying to God and begging God to deliver them from the Assyrian army. All this was in response to the prophecy of God's word. He said in verse number 8, He shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go even. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of the wings shall fill the breath of the land of man. Exactly as God said it would happen, it happened. Uh, the Assyrians came to destroy the Confederate army of the Syrians in the northern kingdom of Israel and then turned and marched upon Judah herself, marched all the way to the gates of Jerusalem. The Bible said that the angel of the Lord came upon them one night and slew 180,000 of them, destroyed the Assyrian army. Exactly. And can I get you to say, what is that?
Say, say ye not a confederacy for all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither, and I love this phrase, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Let me say that number one in this passage, we find a call to faith for the people of God. Now let me say, faith does not equal foolishness. Having faith is not foolishness, and acting foolish is not faith. There is a distinction between faith and foolishness. Foolishness is based upon recklessness. It is based not upon the truth of the word of God or his promises, but it is rather based upon our own passion or our own desires or our own intellect. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is saying, God said such and such, and I'm going to believe that God is right and God is everything. Remember, everything that he's about to instruct you is in light of prophecy. You can start saying, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be with you. These armies that are marching he says they can gather together, they can assemble, they can blow their trumpets, but he says, I'll break them in pieces. I've already promised you back in chapter 7, verse 7. He said, I promise you, it'll all come to nothing. He had already told them, I'm going to be with you. He said, everything is going to be fine. And so in light of that, he says, don't listen to what the crowd is saying. He gives them three basic instructions in this call of faith. Number one, he instructs them to avoid their he said that I should not walk in the way of this people. Can I tell you something? And this is a truism of life, and I hope you'll listen carefully to it. The majority is not always right. I'm not saying the majority is always wrong. Sometimes the majority can be right. But let me say that uh, the, the steps, the footsteps, the life of the believer should not be dictated by what the majority says, but rather what the Almighty he, he, he exhorted them. He said, listen, they're walking this way, but you don't go that way just because they're going that way. You know what he recommended? I'm talking to you, Father. I know. Ready? Spiritual distancing. <laughs> <laughs> Keep six foot away from their actions at all times. You know? He said, hey, listen, they're going a particular direction. It reminds me, we see the steps of the majority of here. The majority, by the way, is wrong and walking and it's right. Now, listen, if that statement makes you mad, I'm sorry. The majority is wrong. I'm not saying the majority is wrong about whatever warnings they're giving right now, and I'm not advocating we just throw caution in the wind. But I'm just—I want to keep you grounded through this thing. If we're not careful, we'll lose our footing during this thing. I'm just reminding you that the majority is wrong more often than it's right, and consensus does not mean correct. Now that does not mean that the majority is wrong. But what does it mean? It means that we should take whatever the majority is saying and weigh it. Against what is the God that was? Listen, can I remind you that God by himself is the majority? And God by himself, greater he that is in you than he that is in the world. By himself he is a majority. So whatever God says is his right, regardless of what the majority says. We see the steps of the majority, then we see the strong hand of the Almighty. I was talking to someone earlier, they were talking about the Lord speaking to them in their life and, and how the Lord had got their attention about a particular man. You know, sometimes you have to speak to a strong hand. If you're stubborn like I am, sometimes you have to get a little right. Sometimes you have to get a strong hand. But you know what it's reminded to me in speaking with a strong you know why he spoke with a strong hand to Isaiah? You know why that language is used? You know what that evokes? It evokes strength and stability on the part of God. In other words, Isaiah is reminded that no matter how the world is shaking around him, God is unmoved by the circumstances. Hey, listen, we may feel weak. We may feel as a country that we're weak. We may feel the economy. I remind you that the Lord's hand is not short. Hey, listen, he is not incapable of pleasing. His arm is not slack. He 
I'm not saying y'all walk different. I'm saying this this nonsense, this herd mentality that we have in our society. Hey, listen, a preacher, we're not a herd, we're a flock. What's the difference? A herd just goes wherever the herd's right. The flock follows the
accommodate, make a safer environment that you can handle uh, what we would call, you know, extra regular events, things that don't pertain to the mandate of the church. We need to preach and pray and the, and the words of God. And we've got I've done those things and, and, and we'll do whatever we can and have to to abide by whatever uh, rules or regulations may be placed. Let me tell you what I won't do. I won't, I won't, I won't worship at the altar. I won't pretend like God fell off of the sky. I won't pretend like God can't take care of it. I won't pretend like it's the government that's to take care of it and not God. I won't pretend like it's no more spiritual to disobey God in view of obeying man or obeying God. I won't do that. I'm not. You take all you want. I want to share with you about this that 
in my mind. Number one, don't be infected by their fear. See, there's several ways you can take this phrase. Neither fear you their fear. The first is don't be infected by their fear. In other words, don't buy into their fear or what they fear. Now again, there's a difference between fear and caution and fear and common sense.
praise him. Amen. All right. You don't have to give into that spirit of fear. I'm seeing this pastor call of faith. Number two, I want you to notice that we see a call of focus. And I'm going to move through this as best as I can quickly. Look at verse 13. So, in other words, he said, Say ye not, verse 12, the Confederacy, to all them to whom this people shall say, Confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Instead of doing that, he says, Do this in verse 13. Thank you, our Lord, unto himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your fear. Now, you can get mad at me, you can get mad at this King James Bible, but that is true. That is true. I know you're nervous, I know you're scared, I know you don't know what's coming down the road.
tumultuous, scary, terrifying time. How do I have perfect peace?
tabernacles were in the temple, in the sanctuary of God. If they wanted to find God, that's where they found And then to them, because of that, you know what that means? We need to be reminded that really, I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. It's bad. I'm not lying. It's bad. It ain't coming to be bad, but it's bad. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with these illnesses. Uh, and I'm speculating. But I'll tell you this that if you have Jesus in your faith, and you have all the tools of the gospel, what bothers Lord, I know you. 